Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Kim. And this is The Department, a podcast about trends, taste, brands, and products. I can't believe it, but this is episode 20. We have made it to episode (laughs) 20. And I don't know about you, Kim, but I feel like we're really getting into our groove here. Like we have all these plans for other topics we want to explore. And I know the Girl Boss series was a major hit. Mm -hmm. In future episodes, we'll be discussing, you know, new current trends as well as digging into these, you know, older nostalgic trends and like what made them happen and where they went. And frankly, I feel like that's even more interesting sometimes than like the current trends, you know? I think it is because I also think if you're as fascinated by trends as Kim and I are, seeing that like rise and fall and all the factors that are part of it, it can help you predict future trends. Like when I think about what's going to happen next, I always look at what already happened. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're kind of like humans are sort of predictable. You know? Absolutely. Totally agree. And also, it's really fun to think back on old things that were really, really hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why, no, why sure. they were. Sure. <laughs> so also, you know, if you have a moment, you know, we have hit episode 20. It is a big celebration here. And so if you're new or if you've been with us for a while, we just want to remind you all to, to give us a follow on whatever streaming service you have, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, so you know when a new episode drops. Because you definitely won't want to miss it, what we have coming up. Yeah, we have some crazy stuff coming. Really great stuff. Um, And uh, we'd really appreciate it if you use Apple Podcasts to give us a star rating. It really takes maybe, I don't know, one second of your time. And if you have a little more time to dedicate and support, uh, just throw a little review in there on top of it. We've seen some really great ones come in recently, and we really, really appreciate it. And we really thank you all for you know throwing those in there because it really does help us get seen. Yeah, it's great. Um, last note before we dig in, if you don't follow us on Instagram, where we, you can find us at at underscore the underscore department, then you are missing out on so much rad stuff and so many really well repurposed meme formats. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And if you miss something, you know, you can also just check our website, which is the department.world. We do all show notes. You can find lots of memes and stuff in there too. So, and links to all that, like, you know, I know the Girl Boss episodes had so many articles. They're all there. Yeah. And books, book recommendations. Amanda has so many book recommendations. I don't know how (laughs) she has time. I'm a bookaholic, guys. I am, honestly, I'm a speed reader. Mm -hmm. So I can usually read a book in like an hour or two. Like, so that's why I still have time to read with everything else I'm doing. (laughs) I mean, if if I had more time, I would do a book club with you, Amanda, and we could talk about the book. Oh my gosh. I know. That's the thing that's missing is I have Mm -hmm. no one to talk about these books. You need to read the self-care one that I recommended in the last episode because I want – I just want to talk about it with someone who's been in that environment. Yes. It's so good. I I will. I definitely will read it. You know, we did have someone reach out 
um, on Instagram also to recommend it before we even dropped this this episode. So um, no way. <laughs> yes, yes, Kate, Kate Williams did. Oh no uh-huh. way! Oh my gosh. I'm a huge fan. Yes, Thank we're you, all Kate huge Williams. Fan. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, you have recommended her books as well. Oh, yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. And actually, it makes perfect sense to me. Even though I personally don't know Kate Williams, I know that we would probably have a really great time hanging out. Mm-hmm. And reading her work, I know that she would like self-care. It makes sense to me. Yeah, exactly. So, Kate, send us more book recommendations because you know what? There's a Nor'easter coming to Pennsylvania <laughs> on Wednesday. And I, you know, I mean, I'm in the house all the time anyway, but I like to think this will somehow be different. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, and this actually just moves me onto our soft open here, you know, before we really kind of get into the meat and potatoes. Amanda, have you watched The Queen's Gambit? Um, no, but it's on my list. And it's partially because. I only let myself watch one hour of television per day at most because, you know, I want to read books and do other things. And so recently, <laughs> this is, yeah. you want to talk about squandering your one hour of television. Yeah, yeah. We've been watching uh, reruns of 80s episodes of um, The Price is Right. <laughs> that little microphone. I know, I know. Oh, the set, the games, uh-huh. the people. What is it called? Clothes. Pachinko or plank? What is it? Plinko? Plinko. We Plinko. haven't even gotten to Plinko. This is like pre-Plinko. Whoa. Like some of the games you might recognize, like the one with like the yodeling mountain climber who falls oh, off that yeah. there, you know, and the dice game. The yodeling uh, mountain climber for And I think, you know, I mean – I'm sure that Dustin has many reasons that he's glad that, you know, he's married to me and we're quarantined together. But I think he was pleasantly surprised to find not only am I an expert on all the games and which are the most successful and why people lose them, because I watched a lot of it as a kid. But though these episodes are almost 40 years old, I am really good at guessing the prices. (laughs) (laughs) I can bet. Would, would you ever actually – do they do still film it? Do they still make it? I Well, I guess probably not right now, but uh, yeah. I, I want to say like 10, 15 years ago, Drew Carey took it over. Oh. And I did – I mean, I'm not going to lie. When I was a kid, huge, huge Price is Right fan. That's, that's what you watched when you were sick. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I was a sick kid, so I was home a lot. And yeah. I – one of my dreams was to go on the Price is Right and – Maybe mm-hmm. get married on the Price is Right. Oh my gosh! Neither's well, happened yet, but, but I mean, you're already married, so that's not going to happen. But there is the possibility, you know. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe you can be on. Maybe you know? I want to play some Plinko. That looks like the most fun game. Like, let's be real. It does. The Plinko does look really good. So anyway, um, Queen's Gambit. The other thing I I know one thing about it, which uh-huh. is that, and there's been some like memes going about around about this where. Women who are quarantined are cutting or trying to cut their bangs like the characters. And I guess they're really short, right? Yes. Yes. They're really short. It's, it has, I have been watching it. Um, I started watching it last week and I've been, I've actually, and I'm not, I haven't been really watching a lot of TV, but I really got into it and I have been, you know, watching at least two episodes a night and it has that, that Amelie quality to it. I love that. She looks like Amelie, kind of in in that same kind of you know like deer with the sh- the bangs, mm-hmm. the really like aggressive bang, and I that makes a lot of sense that, that women are cutting their mm-hmm. hair mm-hmm. to sit like that. Um, did you also know, not surprisingly, that chess and learning how to chess has become a super big trend as well? 
because of the show? Yeah, I actually uh, – you know, I'm listening to NPR all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they were talking on Marketplace last – I want to say it was last week about how the chess industry didn't see this coming, but it's like kind yeah. of the hottest gift this yeah. year and oh, everyone's yeah. out. And the sad news – It's like I, puzzles. Yeah, it's like puzzles. The sad mm-hmm. news that I was hearing is that the chess industry does not think that they will have more chess sets until spring. So, oh. you know, because Chinese New Year's coming. Exactly. I mean, you could, I wonder if you could like make a chess set. <laughs> I bet you could make one. You could whittle one and that could be like your mm. your uh, quarantine hobby. <laughs> Just start with checkers and then, you know, work your way up. Yeah. Well, yeah. so a record-breaking 62 million Households watched the Queen, the Queen's Gambit in the first month, and actually, it became Netflix' most like highest rated, highest watched show, most popular Netflix show all year long. Dang, um, yeah, and sales on, on chess sets went up by about eighty seven percent in the U.S. And sales on books about chess, just books about chess, learning how to do it, which actually kind of it, yeah, it makes sense, is six hundred and three percent. Wow. Yeah. And it had been kind of flat and declining beforehand. Um, And, you know, I can't wait for you to watch it, especially to see the interiors. I'm super curious to see what else might start trending because there are some really great wallpaper and great (laughs) color that's, you know, that really pops out. And I think I, I, I would not be surprised if you started to change some of your rooms around a little bit. Wow. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's on my list. I think, you know, we just got to get through this Price is Right phase and mm-hmm. <laughs> then we can get into the Queen's Gambit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I yeah. mean, I had to – I mean, he enjoyed it, but me getting Dustin to watch The Crown was initially kind of a tough sell and then, of course, he got really into it too. And so mm-hmm. I just need to take the same approach with this because we generally have very different taste in television entertainment. So mm-hmm. – Okay. It's next. It's next on the list. Yeah. All right. We'll jump in right in. Um, you know, the idea of millennials, quote unquote, killing things and being blamed <laughs> for full on murder of quote unquote beloved. Uh, this is not a true crime podcast. Okay. Despite all the this murder is, talk tonight. Uh, <laughs> well, the the murder of beloved businesses and products has been has become a bit of a trope almost for the last decade. Mm-hmm. So it emerged last century um, or the Audis, as we like to call it here at the department um, as a beloved press angle that seemed to act as like clickbait um, mm-hmm. as for a headline to get people really interested and cause a lot of attention. I mean, yes, exactly. Amanda, like we know millennials love all things murder from podcasts <laughs> to Netflix specials, but actual murders, I mean, um, so for example, ripped from the headlines, um, quote, are millennials killing napkins? And quote, are millennials killing golf? The napkins one. So, I mean. I love that one. I actually researched that one a little bit because I was like, what does that mean? so ridiculous. I, you know, sent you that one link to the, what was it, like 75 things that millennials had killed? And then I looked, I found a bunch of other lists too. And napkins was on every single one of them yeah and well do you know what it means it means that that people are just using paper towels that's what it means they're not yeah they're not buying paper napkins they've they've decided that paper towels are just as good as as paper napkins and it's kind of even better and i totally agree yeah i don't buy paper napkins (laughs) 
I mean, okay. I use a paper towel. I, I do use paper napkins, okay, guys? Oh, oh, that's fancy. I mean, that really is. I am kind of fancy. multiple paper products. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and then Millennia's Killing Golf. Um, you know, we could definitely dig into a couple more of these these funny ones um, in a second. Um, you know, when the, in reality, it was just finger pointing at a generation that struggled with less income, had different consumer tastes and different habits. Uh, so this podcast is all about trends. Therefore, Amanda and I are going to dig into the trend of this playing game and really how the tre- how the trends away from a lot of products and industries actually happened. So just kind of setting the tone here. So in 2012, 2013, there was a lot of bad press that started coming out about millennials because obviously they started, you know, owning a lot more space and killing things, you know, getting, killing things getting into the job market, you know, they, you know, so a lot of boomers started writing articles about the generation's laziness and entitlement. Uh, as Kate Drees reported for the New York Times in 2013, trend pieces portrayed millennials as materialistic but cheap. And according to these stories, the generation was full of entitled loafers who expected participation trophies simply for getting out of bed, which now we know at the end of the millennia, you know, they'd like to stay in bed. So, you know, they weren't even getting getting out of bed. So <laughs> it was really like poisoning the waters about what millennial culture was and mm-hmm. how millennials behaved. And one of the most infamous articles came out from Times Magazine titled The Me, Me, Me Generation. Because boomers, I guess, were actually called the me generation. So they spun it around and did the me, me, me generation, claiming that millennials are lazy, entitled narcissists who still live with their parents and why they'll save us all. So essentially, this the, the writer argued that millennials are narcissists, but they'll have some redeeming qualities. Oh, I overall. hate this. I'm like making my blood boil already. Uh, exactly, you know, and it really it caused this kind of like uh, domino effect, particularly with like boomers writing about this sensationalized negative sentiment um, and getting it published uh, right in like that that early part of that audience, and then basically through the Audis. Um, So a lot of business publications started using the quote unquote millennials are killing trope, framing their framing stories about industries failing to win over those customers and basing it on the the fact that, that, you know, through market research, it was the millennials fault. (laughs) So (laughs) one headline in the Christian science monitor in 2012, uh, millennial generations could kill the NFL. Um, Forbes that same year is Gen Y's live at home lifestyle killing the Hounsey market. By 2014, things had really heated up with promiscuous millennials killing McDonald's because apparently they lacked fast food loyalty. But then some younger generations started to grab onto that trope, either because they knew it worked to get re- readers to read or to actually just make fun of it and be ironic, which is what millennials really you know, are. So there was a lot of this killing chatter circulating about pretty much the everything and anything for that entire last decade. But the reality of the matter is that the millennial generation are less well off than members of earlier generations when they were young, with lower earnings, fewer assets, and less wealth, which has literally been reported by the Federal Reserve, mm-hmm. who also said the discrepancy could be ex- explained primarily by the fact that millennials came of age during the Great Recession, kneecapping their financial well-being in the early adulthood. So the cliche just blew up 
with a massive backlash when The Economist posted a tweet in 2016. And by then, millennials were just fed up and they were making their own like memes about this. But The Economist posted out a tweet in 2016 asking why millennials were not buying as many diamonds. <laughs> That's uh... Oh, I exactly. And it, I mean, everyone, it just is cringeworthy. And so this really sparked a fury of pissed off millennials. And mind you, this was before OK Boomer, literally one of my favorite memes wasn't <laughs> a thing yet, which was actually invented by the, the, the following generation, Gen Z, when, and they all have like, there's like fights amongst all the generations, which is really funny to read about. Um, You know, so obviously all this expe- uh, this affects spending habits, you know, when you're crippled by, um, you know, the Great Recession and, um, you know, and it, it, so the spending habits change, but in general, tastes also change. And honestly, I would argue that we should be thanking millennials. Um, you know, and uh, Amanda had mentioned that she sent out an article with 70 things that millennials are killing. And the list is very long and very vast and rather hilarious. Um, I'll add, I'll add this, the, the link to the list on the website. So you can, you know, you can find it at the department.world. Um, and some of our favorites, Amanda and I were actually, uh, texting back and forth about this one was, well, you know, low fat yogurt was one of the things Ugh. that millennials were killing, yeah. which I may say is disgusting. And Amanda, I know you say that that's, that's disgusting. Yeah. Well, I think, and they weren't even saying low fat, they're saying like the light. So the like weird, light. like neutral sweet kind. And yeah. I was telling Kim that, I mean, it's disgusting. If you've had it, you know, right. It's watery and fake. I think we, and- I think it was actually like part of diet. Like, you know, you, like if there was like a food pyramid back in like the nineties, <laughs> that this like, yeah, light light yogurt was on it. I mean, there was, <laughs> was literally like, a brand called Light and Lively. I remember that, yes. I, I, you know, I haven't bought that kind of yogurt in about mm. 1,000 years, but a place that I continuously encounter it is if you stay at a hotel and there's like a free continental breakfast, you know, like if you stay at like a Holiday yes. Inn or something, it's that's always the yogurt. It's so yes. disgusting. And then I'm like, should I eat this or not? I don't really like it. It actually has a lot of sugar in it anyway sugar. it's like so mm-hmm. bizarre and disgusting uh so i'm you know i'm gonna tell you as a spoiler that a lot of the things that millennials ruined or killed kind of sucked so mm-hmm. low no, fat yeah. yogurt light yogurt glad it's gone glad we killed glad it. good work everyone glad it's gone. i mean uh if you've watched them or listened to the maintenance phase podcast about snackwells and the 90s low fat phenomena <sighs> they talk about this yeah and it's hilarious. Like I think everyone just agreed that it was disgusting, but we just had to accept it. And now people don't accept it anymore because now we understand that light and low fat doesn't mean that it's good for you. Yeah. I mean, I think that we in general have more information about mm-hmm. nutrition. Yeah, I like we to do. Think, you know? Mm-hmm. Any other honorable mentions, Amanda, before we get into our independent research projects? I mean, these lists are so preposterous. Here are the things that millennials killed mm-hmm. that I had no idea about. Postcards. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Doorbells. I, I, doesn't everyone have a ring or something? I don't understand. Uh, handshakes. <laughs> I would argue that perhaps the pandemic is killing uh, yes. handshakes. That, that'll definitely that'll, – that'll be gone for a while. And those like those – those um, the cheek kisses. Oh, go away. I, I hated hate them those. anyway. Yes. Or honestly, I hate professional hugging. Like you're like, oh, I'm at a business oh, meeting. Let's uh-uh. hug. Yeah. No, 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 no. Don't touch. 
Um, and lastly, the other one I had, which I actually am like, yeah, good, is cable yeah. TV. Yeah. Like we obviously don't have cable TV here. We have all kinds of apps and whatnot. But, you know, if you go visit your parents. They always have mm-hmm. all the cable channels. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to watch TV. And then there's yeah. literally nothing to watch. There's nothing. And it's all commercials. All commercials. For for, for hours, hours and hours of commercials. Yeah, Everything yeah. is just broken up. It's a miserable experience. Yeah. I, so, I mean, yeah, good job, guys, killing cable TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Well, one another thank you, millennials, thank you for murdering the corporate casual dining chain re- restaurants. So, Casual dining chain restaurants, that's definitely a mouthful. Uh, They grew really quickly in the 80s and then boomed in the 90s. Uh, They usually came with a bit of a theme. So we're talking about the Applebee's, Chili's, Cheesecake Factory, Olive Garden, Old Country Buffet, Outback Steakhouse, Ruby Tuesdays. I mean, there's definitely a lot. You know, there was definitely some regional ones. We had something called Ponderosa in Wisconsin that was particularly gross. <laughs> we had that here too. You did? You did yeah. have that one? Yeah. The Ponderosa, <laughs> it was like it was like a saloon. Yes. And it was sort of like, I mean, tell me if I'm remembering this wrong. So mm-hmm. I'm going to say that every Friday we would, almost every Friday, we would go out for dinner as a family. And, you know, we lived out in rural Pennsylvania, so the options weren't great. It was all chain. My brother and I could take turns picking, and my brother mm-hmm. almost always wanted to go to Ponderosa. And if I recalled, you would like walk in and you would order like almost like a fast food place, like your steak or whatever, and then they would give you a number and you would go sit down. But then there was like a buffet also. There was a buffet. Yeah, yeah. That's what I – I mean, I remember they had potato skins, which I liked. (laughs) We – yes, Amanda and I have bonded on potato skins many times. I was actually going to talk about potato skins, but now that you brought them oh, up, oh man, <laughs> it's the reason to go to one of these places is to get totally. the potato skins. or like your blooming onion. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. The, I mean, if you like onions, yeah, if you like onions, and a lot of people were actually raised on this these restaurants and these experiences, like you said. All you know, where a lot of times if you lived in Middle America, I mean, kind of anywhere, these were kind of the only restaurant options. So my mother's favorite restaurant, and I think it was up until the 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 time that the local one closed was Applebee's uh-huh. and she could not get enough of Applebee's. Like I'll, if you gave her a gift card for Christmas, she was the happiest person in the world. So she could get this Oriental chicken salad that she loves so much. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a couple years ago, uh, we were in Salem where my dad and my stepmother and my sisters live. Stepmother had recently directed a play and it was like opening night. And so, you know, we went out to dinner afterwards to Applebee's because it was the only place that was open after, you know, 9 p.m. or something. And when we went in, everybody knew my dad. Oh, my God. <laughs> Who worked there. At yeah. The they were like, oh, it's Christy. Yeah, yeah. It was – I was like, Dad, do you come here a lot? And he's like, well, no, really. And I was like, I don't know about that. Know. You know, I think it's more of a regular, like one of those people that sits at the bar. Yeah, that's what I think too. My uh-huh. dad and his wild secret life at Applebee's. Okay, so Amanda, will you give me some words that you associate with these types of establishments? Sure. I would say highly processed. Okay. Uh, high sodium. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not fresh. <laughs> um, uh-huh. Kind of mediocre. Okay. Um, and overpriced for what they are. Yeah. All, all of the above. Yeah, exactly. And w- oh, what sort of foods and drinks can you think of? I mean, 
naturally we're going to some potato skins, yep. maybe moz sticks, some sort of moz sticks, moz sticks, some sort of like <laughs> ridiculously large and sugary cocktail, like yeah. a mudslide yeah. or the margaritas. Mar- yeah, margaritas that are like the size of your head and like yeah. 50% sugar. Yeah. So I also have to say that, you know, I have two sisters. One of my sisters, at least at for quite a while, her favorite restaurant was Applebee's. And she was telling me once about how they were doing these like jello shots that came in syringes, which seemed incredibly inappropriate to me. Wow. But yeah, my dad said they were good. Wait, they oh, were going to Applebee's a lot. They were going to Applebee's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah. Uh, well, anyway, you know, the sales started to slump at all of these places in the last decade. And most of these chains saw like, you know, several store closings and some saw hundreds of locations closing, Um, you know, as the generation that needed to to support the sales, millennials just failed to show up. Uh, So many of these companies were even trying to pivot and change menus and offer a more millennial friendly fare from healthier options to trendy ingredients like briskets to no avail. (laughs) (laughs) Might I add... Also, that buffets are the hardest hit here. So places like Old Country Buffet that were designed to feed families fatty slop on small budget. Um, You know, like the Old Country Buffet used to have 700 locations and now it has only 17. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is insane. Yeah. And it's not like millennials aren't actually eating out because 40% of the American food budget is actually spent eating out. So people are just... They're eating out, but they're just not eating out at these places. Right. Uh, And it doesn't resonate. And I've kind of broken down why, you know, the first one, authenticity. You know, there's just nothing authentic authentic about going to these places. And millennials really do thrive on authenticity. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you go into an Applebee's, it just kind of drips of corporate dollars. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, conscious consumerism is another one. You know, we've talked about that extensively, but this concept of eating locally and supporting local restaurants versus eating at a chain, you know, the trend of consumers caring where they spend their money and the same with trends in farm to table and recognizing where your food comes from. Uh, another one is, you know, more options in indie restaurants. You know, there's just way more restaurants and good restaurants to eat at than we had in the 90s. Uh, mm-hmm. Ethnic cuisine is also more available and more exciting than ever. And millennials love to experiment. And, you know, and might I add here, many of these are also mall adjacent places. You know, the Applebee's, all of them are all kind of in some sort of mall, which Amanda is going to be going on to uh, digging mm-hmm. into a bit, little bit later. So I won't go really into it. But, you know, a lot of people aren't going to malls like they used to, especially cool mm-hmm. kids. And the revitalization of downtowns, um, you know, driving sub- suburban sales is just isn't there anymore. Um, so yeah, Amanda, we'll, we'll get a little bit deeper into that one. But mm-hmm. if people aren't going to the malls, they're not going to the mall restaurants. It's true. It's true. And that moves us right into food quality and menu. As Amanda had spoken about a little bit earlier, uh, <laughs> many of these restaurants shifted away from having real kitchens. And a lot of the food is prepared in microwaves. Mm-hmm. That's what my dad told me. He yeah. had a an acquaintance of some sort who was managing an Olive Garden and he let him come and see the kitchen and it was (gasps) just a series of burners with pots of boiling water that they would dump bags, like unopened bags of like sauces and pasta in to heat them and then they would cut them open 
kind of pour them into a warming table to like scoop it out. So yeah, they're basically cutting out the chefs, the cooks. The yeah, yeah, you're just like a reheater. It's just basically re- right there. It's just a reheater, which is just. I mean, it, you can taste it in the quality and in the food. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and not just that, but millennials also do tend to embrace more varied and frankly healthier options. I mean, when's the last time you actually have eaten at one of these places? I mean, it's like it doesn't even. It's like my brain doesn't even see them. Yeah, you know, it's not an. It's a non-option for you. Yeah, no, no, no. You'll probably go on Yelp, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, You know, I remember the last two instances that I have eaten at one of these places because they do travel quite a bit, Um, Uh and at the airport. You know, sometimes the chilies in the airport are, are actually the only acceptable places it's to eat. True, and you know what? I I have eaten at a chilies in an airport. I would say about once a year. Yeah, and uh, they have a good salad. Yeah, they, <laughs> the food is it's never going to be great. It's always you almost always just going to be mediocre. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's places where I'm just like, oh god, thank god, there's a Chili's, you know, or a mm-hmm. TJ Fridays, and I will just actually go to that that restaurant there, and and it's totally fine. Because even if you try to go to one of like the quote unquote local restaurants in the airports, unless you're in San Francisco, the, it's just usually a slowly a, a pretty poor experience. Um, yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, and then the, so the second time was you know. When I went, we were, I don't remember where we were, but we were, I was with the two owners of the company, Graflance, that I work for. And um, I went with the two owners in somewhere, and like the only place to eat was an Applebee's. And I was like, well, I haven't eaten at an Applebee's in a while. And so Oof, Applebee's is the worst, I think. It, it, I mean, it has gone so downhill because, like I said, it was my mother's favorite restaurant. So I've been to many Applebee's. Uh I've spent a lot of big portion of my childhood (laughs) in an Applebee's (laughs) and this was nothing like the Applebee's that I remember. And so I went with the two owners. One is German and had never been to an Applebee's before. I was just like very astounded by how bad it was. Um, And we went there for lunch and it was a very, it was geared very much towards this office lunch crowd with deals and things. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like basically eating kind of like fl- fried plastic. I, spe- I specifically remember the experience being not very delicious and kind of just feeling bad o- overall <laughs> for the people that worked there. Okay. So moving on to just some of the other reasons why it didn't resonate, you know, it worked great for pre-recession wallets. You know, might mm-hmm. I remind you, millennials are notoriously underemployed and overeducated. So the price points are just not affordable enough to be considered cheap. It's still a splurge, as you were saying, like these deals are still a splurge, you know, where you'd rather just spend it on local restaurants or getting delivery. Right. um, Or both. Right. (laughs) You know, and a lot of the marketing that you'll see on TV is just around a deal. It's these deal places, deal, deal, deal. But you end up going and you're like, actually, it's not really a deal. You know, it'll two for Tuesdays, two for 20. And I know that, you know, I was reading some Yelp reviews for for of the Applebee's out here, and it was like they did two. They changed it to like two for twenty seven, and now suddenly that that is not even a deal at all, um, you know. And they're trying to do these deals, and I think they're probably cutting corners with the food and the preparation to keep these deals profitable. But it's just it's none of it's working. And then another really big one here is that fast casual chains saw an emergence that claim a huge chunk of that displaced forty percent of American food budget. So we're talking Shake Shack, Sweet Green, Fresh mm-hmm. and Co. Prep. I, I bet I bet even Chipotle might even be considered kind of in there. Mm-hmm. Um, at a, they all offer fresh, <laughs> quality 
fast and affordable menu items, all of the things that people actually want. Um, And they go above and beyond the casual chains, sometimes offering organic ingredients, occasionally sourced from nearby farms, just like white tablecloth restaurants. Their interiors are also vastly more enjoyable (laughs) uh, as opposed to to fast food places, you know, like the original ones, like, like the Hardee's and McDonald's that were all like those hard plastic (laughs) tables. Um, So the Washington Post reported that in 2009, there was about 17,000 fast casuals in the United States with a sale of 19 billion. And then by 2018, the last year for which there's statistics available, fast casuals had more than doubled their locations and the sales are, were at almost 50 billion. I would so much rather go to a fast casual mm-hmm. than an Applebee's oh, <laughs> any day. Yeah, It's just, it's a better deal on all accounts. Always, always. Another one is, you know, cooking at homes become a super big trend. Mm-hmm. You know, everything from DIY, you know this, Amanda, um, to getting something like Blue Apron, you know, cooking culture in general has become, um, has been on the rise for like 20 years. Cookbooks are constantly doing double digit growth. Cooking shows are essentially a pastime. Same with cooking contests. Celebrity chefs are everywhere. Cooking at home was really hot pre-pandemic and it's hotter now, now that people are even like learning how to do it, you know, because it was kind of the only option. It's affordable. It can be healthy and delicious. And not only do we have access to an ingredients, which we didn't really have back in the 90s. Um, we also have access to just limitless numbers of recipes online. Mm-hmm. It's true. I take advantage of it like every day. Yeah. And then delivery apps. Uh, you know, why go out and pay the premium when you can just stay at home? Mm-hmm. That's another huge one. Um, and then Instagram and the rise of food picture culture. <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't think I've seen a single respectable person our age ever take a photo at a Chili's and post it online. <laughs> I mean, I I have done dumb stuff like that as a joke, but yes, you're right. As a joke, yes, yes, yes. you're being you're joking. Yeah. So you go for the experience and you share it to be seen. Uh-huh. Um, I think there would have been a time in the '90s when TGI Fridays was actually the hot place. Do you remember oh, that, dude? I in fact, it's so funny. There's a mall here i mean well you know close to where we live uh out here in lancaster county that was like the cool mall for this section of pennsylvania when i was growing up and they had a tgi fridays they were like the only place and so we would go shopping at that mall once or twice a year because it was you know it was a decent drive from where we lived and we would get to eat at tgi fridays and it was like the coolest thing yeah for sure like you would brag about it to your friends at school you know that was like where the cool birthday parties were. Totally. TGI Fridays. Totally. I mean, and I wonder, like, was the food better then? I am suspecting, and maybe you have information about this, that over time it became more and more like a reheat restaurant, that there was a time when people were actually cooking food there. There was a time. Yeah. yeah. There, there was a time it changed over, you know, mm-hmm. when they were just trying to keep, keep up and it just – yeah, I think that in the 90s, yeah, they had full restaurants. And have you seen the movie Waiting? I don't know if I have. Who's in that? Oh, I will tell you. It was Ryan Reynolds with a soul patch. <laughs> Dane, Dane Cook is in there. And it is all about this casual um, corporate chain d- dining restaurant and the people that actually worked in it. And people have actually claimed that this is like – one of the best movies about the service industry to this day. It's really 
funny. It's from 2005. Wow. So if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. And they have like the fall kitchen and the chefs and they're all tropes. And it's it's really great. And they also do tropes on all of like the, the customers that are there too. Wow. Wow. And you said there was a soul patch? There's definitely a soul patch situation going on there. Yeah, it's definitely it's a it was a hot, buzzy kind of indie comedy. Huh. Yeah, check it out. Um, So, according to a study in 2019, 69 percent of millennials take a photo or video of their food before eating. (laughs) One of my favorite things. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you can imagine, yeah. So so do forty five percent of adults aged thirty five to forty nine, and twenty one percent of adults fifty and over take a photo of their food before eating. There's even some science behind why food photos motivate people to eat. Something about a hormone that tells us we're hungry, and and, and you know, having these photos just um, apparently also drives a lot of likes or did. In, maybe in the um, the Audis. Hmm. Um, so the rise of Yelp is also one of the reasons why there was a massive downfall of these restaurants. Um, and, you know, obviously we talked about all the poor food quality and things like that. And people are really, you know, rating these <laughs> restaurants. And if you go and look at your local Applebee's or Chili's, their ratings are usually like, two stars two and a half stars because and it's all usually about the food quality or about the deals Mm -hmm, not being great mm -hmm. um there is a really great eater article that talks about yelpers and instagram influencers um and it this is what it says it says and it it's actually really hilarious. It's during arguably Yelp's cultural peak in 2011, one study showed that independent restaurants who see a one-star bump in their Yelp writings also see a significant jump in revenue. And in 2012, a study emerged indicating even just a half-star increase meant a restaurant is much more likely to be full at peak dining hours. And I argue that's even relevant as a tool to explore new restaurants. And it's also an important feature for delivery apps like Uber Eats and Postmates. Obviously, star ratings mean a lot. Um, the late Anthony Bourdain said in 2017 interview, there's really no worse or lower human being than an elite Yelper. <laughs> declaring them universally loathed by chefs everywhere. (laughs) For years, restaurateurs and chefs have waged war against petty reviewers who hit them with one-star reviews for offenses ranging from refusing to serve them any more alcohol to not offering takeout and numerous internet complaints. Elite members on average wrote nearly eight times as many reviews as regular Yelpers. Elites are role model Yelpers who embody the spirit of Yelp both online and off, and write useful, funny, and cool reviews, says Yelp PR manager. According to the company, decisions about who ultimately gains the title are made by a group of Yelp staffers, mysteriously referred to as the elite (laughs) council. (laughs) (laughs) And so I can really only imagine the active Yelp reviewers that are chain casual dining restaurant frequenters. Like, I bet they are such a pill. And like I said, check out that movie waiting because it really, it really highlights this special brand of people. You know, I, back in the day, back, you know, before I knew Dustin, years before I knew you, I decided I was going to try to date people using OkCupid. And Mm -hmm. I met a guy for a date who seemed okay. 
uh, it turned out that he was like one of these elite Yelpers. <laughs> Stop it. And it's like – all he talked about yes. the whole time. And just bragging about all the uh-huh. elite events and stuff, which just to me sounded so unbearable. <laughs> like you'd be like, no, like it was like open bar, like all the pizza you could eat. It was just like the elite Yelpers. And I'm like, who wants to hang out with just those people? Yeah, exactly. It was just like, like <laughs> you know, when you come in, walk into a restaurant or a bar, like they know. They know you're elite. I try not to brag about it in front of people who work in a restaurant or bar because I don't want to give away my status, but they know. This is exactly what Anthony Bourdain is talking about. <laughs> it was just – it was like everything that you expect and we did not yeah. go out another time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess – I mean, their expectations are were just are insanely high. I mean, this article does talk about how um, Instagram is taking over and kind of – knocking um yelp elites down where instagram like people like restaurants are starting to partner more with instagram influencers instead mm-hmm. of that yelp leaders um because the, a lot of these things that you're talking about yeah and it just seemed like i mean first off anybody who has that kind of time automatically you're yeah. like what's going on in your life right but <laughs> the thing the hook seems to be that you get free stuff you get to go to these yeah. events and I just – I don't need free stuff enough to do that. So I feel like it, it paints a picture of a, of a character for sure who's both thrifty and has a very high regard for their own opinion, you know? hmm Yeah. Well, and Amanda, I know you're really excited about this other offshoot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the the restaurant. <laughs> and what I'm talking about is actually Hooters in particular, because I did a lot of digging and some of the later offshoots like Twin Peaks, which is like a Hooters for foodies with a lumberjack theme are actually doing fine and seeing huh. positive growth. Wow. So it's is it the lumberjack theme that's like keeping it going? I think it's the food because mm. I, I did some digging and I'll, I'll tell you in a little bit, but I really think that it's mostly because it turned to more microwave food. Mm, okay. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. So there's a few things happening here with the the, the slow descent of Hooters. Um, obviously, all of the things that we talked about above, including that microwaved food thing. But also, apparently, there's a trend away from boobs. <laughs> um, for, <laughs> for millennia, men have slobbered over boobs. Um, and... I just think even pop culture of the 80s when and 90s, I guess, when Hooters was really popular, things like Porky's to the man show. Mm-hmm. You know, I forgot about that. Yeah. It was like bo- boobs. Boobs were so big. Like you don't see boobs the way they 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 were presented. This like it wasn't quite as you know gratuitous. Mm-hmm now than it was back then um and millennials just aren't as hot on boobs as their predecessors they're kind of a little <laughs> bit more <laughs> butts but porn hub visitors between the age of 18 to 24 are 19 percent less likely to search for breasts when compared to other age groups but visitors aged 55 to 64 are 17 percent more likely to search and hooters specifically has seen a seven percent drop in restaurant locations from 2012 to 2016 which amounts to millions of dollars in losses and in addition industry reports indicate that their sales have stagnated despite efforts to appeal to millennials through the new menu items kind of like what all these other restaurants were trying to do 
but it really also doesn't account for the increase in sales at Twin Peaks, who seem to just hit the nail on the head. Um, Hooters even pivoted from their typical approach of scantily clad women in sport bar atmosphere and opened a new fast casual concept called Hoots. <laughs> Wait, what? Yep. They changed over a lot of these Hooters locations to Hoots. And wow. they're more about the wings and not as much about the women's. And the ladies are dressed a lot more conservatively. But how, you know, we don't really know quite yet if it'll have a long-term effect or if, if people are really interested because this is kind of a recent thing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I was reading a Reddit article that Twin Peaks is actually doing really well because of the food they have and that it isn't microwaved. Um, mm-hmm. And Yelp is filled with like a bunch of negative reviews about the food and drink quality at Hooters, which is ultimately <laughs> the lasting impression at the end of the day. And mm-hmm. also the, the outfits are notoriously more trashy and grosser looking than the Twin <laughs> Peaks restaurants that they're basically like these little lumberjack outfits. Yeah, uh, that sounds cuter. A little more no- Pacific Northwest thing than like yeah. Miami Beach circa 1980. And I was reading a little bit about the Hooters girls and they still have a very um, a very specific uniform that they have to wear, including these tanned tights. Remember oh, those yes. tanned tights? You had to, like, I had to wear them when I was in dance in like middle yeah. school. Yeah, we had to wear them for cheerleading, and yeah. they were v- extremely opaque. Yes, and just this like Orange. bizarre like color, Trump, Trump color. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I you know, I don't want to wear the outfits at Hooters, but they are pretty iconic. You have mm-hmm. to admit. And you know, Hooters days are numbered. You know, I mean, I I mean, besides working at a strip joint or working at Hooters, you know, you can earn some serious bank. Working as working for tips as a Hooters girl, you know, mm-hmm. and you know they mainly work they mainly work for minimum wage, um, but then the the tips are like the reason why you work at Hooters. I uh, had to go to this uh, trade show quite often in Long Beach uh, called Agenda, and it's I don't know. Have you ever been to Long Beach, Kim? Have you ever gone to that trade show? I have I have been to that trade okay, show. Okay, well yes. it's RIP. I don't think it happens anymore. But you know, it's in this convention center that is in a part of Long Beach that seemed to be their attempt at creating, I don't know, like a more touristy destination. So there's like a weird mall next to it with a Ferris wheel, but all the mall is is outlet stores. And then there are only chain restaurants anywhere near the hotel unless you want to go for a walk, right? So I had um, this vendor who wanted to take me out for lunch, and he was like a raging misogynist, just like really annoying <laughs> streetwear dude who talks down to women and like is trying to tell me how to do my job. And he was was trying to use vocabulary words that he didn't understand. So that's hilarious. He said, "Where can I take you for lunch? You want to go somewhere for a salad?" A salad. And I said, <gasps> "I said, I said yeah." I said, "No, I want to go to Hooters." And he was like. Okay. And I've never been to a Hooters before. Suddenly the entire team from his brand is coming along. They all want to go to Hooters. And we go in and it's the middle of the day in this weird tourist zone near the convention center. And when we walked up, there was like a stroller parking area. And Kim, easily 50 strollers there. We go inside. The restaurant is packed. It is primarily moms with children. (laughs) Really? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know what? I thought the wings were pretty good. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's all I'll say. I I also love wings, though, and it's really hard to have mm-hmm. a bad one. I mean, I've personally been to Hooters a few times. Our high school was actually right next door to a Hooters. <laughs> <laughs> Great. And, um, you know, we were also right next to a big mall that had, like, an olive garden. And, um, you know, and, of course, I was a very ironic exennial. Um, so I did patron a few times with my ironic friends and, you know, we did it like, because it was kind of funny and we were basically like girls from ghost world, just sitting there and eating at Hooters, you know, I did, <laughs> I get, I'd always get the French fries and like a grilled cheese sandwich and it actually was pretty good. Yeah. Like I feel like, you know, it's not, it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. If I had to pick between going to Applebee's or Hooters, I'm going to pick Hooters. Yeah. I mean, perhaps I'd pick a Hoots. Pip, I mean, yeah, maybe you'll have to pick a Hoots. I mean, I, I remember you were, you were saying that you knew uh, a woman who invested in. Oh, oh, I do. Yes. So my brother, you know, he's still friends with a lot of his friends from high school. They all grew up together. They all stayed in central Pennsylvania. And one of his friends had this on again, off again girl, girlfriend who had the same name as me. <laughs> so, uh, and they all hated her mm-hmm. because she was apparently a binge. I don't know if that's true. And uh, she decided to get breast implants as an investment uh-huh. so that she could get a job at Hooters because they opened a Hooters near where they lived. And she got the breast implants, which I remember my brother telling me the story and I thought he was being sarcastic, but it was real. She got breast implants. Wow. I don't know how much those cost. So maybe- I don't know. Maybe thousands. I, mean, live, I would assume thousands. Unless but, you, you know, go to like Mexico. How- Maybe she went to Mexico because she was saying that, like, she had paid off her investment within a year of working at Hooters. I was trying to find out what sort of tips – I didn't do a lot of research. So maybe someone who's listening to this podcast actually knows what sort of tips you could get. Mm -hmm. Um, But back in the 80s and 90s, I have a feeling you probably got bigger tips than maybe they give now. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, once again, I have no idea. Yeah, I think it was more of like a place to be. Yeah, I will say – I waited tables a lot in my early 20s, and whenever I would get a table of horny dudes, I would get huge tips. This oh, was just working so at a regular restaurant. So mm-hmm. I imagine putting those dudes in Hooters and you're wearing yeah. those short shorts. Like yeah. maybe – I don't know. Yeah. Um, and lastly, I do want to mention something that's a little bit along these lines. You know, Gen Z is crushing on fast food merch and fast food chains are quickly becoming these like lifestyle brands and they're dropping tons of homebody merch and apparel as well as other like really buzzy, crazy things. Um, this September, there were two huge collabs specifically angled towards the Gen Z uh, crowd. Most notoriously, McDonald's collaborated with Travis Scott on a whole line of merch, including a McNugget body pillow. <laughs> Gross. The, just the, yeah. the shape. <laughs> I mean, a giant I – mean, I mean, I wonder how many they had to produce. Like, what are your minimums for a McNugget body pillow? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I got to know. But then they also dropped a bunch of merch that included T-shirts, hoodies, shorts, sweatpants, lunchboxes, which I find is hilarious. I'm so curious – I didn't really look it up if it's like a tin lunchbox from the 80s. Cereal boxes, cardboard cutouts of a Scott action figure, house slippers with fry laces. Every single piece sold out. And then Dunkin' Donuts did a collab with this TikTok star, Charlie – I'm going to butcher this – Damelio. 
I think it's Demilio. Demilio. I only know that because I was listening to another podcast earlier today that was talking about her. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know that there's like some drama with her, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. But there was this whole milk caramel swirl drink, which sounds extremely high calorie. Oh, and it sounds like diarrhea. It's also <laughs> just so like diarrhea. But it apparently seriously boosted sales. And the Dunkin' Donuts app saw a 57% increase in downloads. They then dropped a bunch of lifestyle goods, not really based on her, but just as they like, like as their process of rollout. Um, so they did shirts, robes, bedding, mini fridge, a tandem bike. Um, uh, <laughs> and for the first time, clothing items and other accessories. And they could be cons- be customized with the recipient's name, with like Dunkin' Donuts all over Oh, it. this is depressing me. Yes. And it's huge. It's huge. It yeah, no, I seen- believe it. I believe it. <laughs> also seen a bunch of crap from like KFC. Like I think I sent you that chicken. I actually posted it on an Instagram stories, which is one of the reasons why you should follow our Instagram. Um, a chicken, a fried chicken Yule log that you burn in your fireplace that smells like fried chicken. They also have candles and a bunch of other crap. And then Pizza Hut recently did a weighted blanket that's that looks like a giant pizza. <laughs> and it reminds me of like that swag that we had back in the 80s. Because like we had like actually pretty cool stuff that came out of particularly I remember Pizza Hut. You remember Pizza Hut uh, yes, making yes. Of really good stuff? They did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's like also it was the era of really elaborate happy meal sort of prizes yes. and stuff like that. Like uh Dustin, Yeah, really really quality. Dustin got really excited at the thrift store the other day because he saw all of these Alf puppets. Yes. That I believe were from I remember those. Burger King, I think. I, yeah, I think they were from Burger King because I remember my brother and I really wanted them. And I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before. I don't think I have. But my grandmother would never take us to Burger King because according to her, an old man had gone into Burger King. Have I told you this story? No. Okay. Okay. (laughs) An an older gentleman, I don't know if someone she knew, if she knew this person personally or what, he had gone into the Burger King. And I I think it was in York where my – grandma lived. But once again, I have no idea. And he asked for a glass of water. And they said, no, we don't give water unless you buy something. And he died <gasps> at Burger King. Wow. So we couldn't get those puppets because my grandmother was boycotting. <laughs> I feel like, was it Burger King that came out with the glassware? Remember there was someone that came out with really great uh, I think it, I know Hardee's had a lot of glassware because mm-hmm. Dustin and I have talked about that. And McDonald's got on that. There were like Smurf glasses. and The Smurf glasses. Yeah. Right. It was like these amazing collectible glasses. I kind of think that someone needs to bring these things back. I know. I feel like these things were more useful. The other thing I remember, and I was very young, I only have a very vague memory of this, is that when that movie Gremlins came out, yeah. I think it was Hardee's was – you could buy these like books that came with a record that would play, you know, like mm-hmm. it was like an audio book before mm-hmm. audio books existed. And I have this very vague memory of seeing those, but it does seem like they were doing a better job of merch back then. Okay. One last one before we move on. Remember when like the, like they, they were in like their heyday of merch when the land before time came out? Oh my gosh. Yeah. The, 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 the puppets, there's these crazy, I mean, these are like, fully fashioned puppets came out. I remember the elf puppets. I mean, these were really 
They were nice. Amazing things. Yeah. 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 They were nice. And when we saw them at the, at the store this mm-hmm. week, we were like, wow, like mm-hmm. these things really hold up. They looked really okay. high quality, way higher quality than anything you would find in like a kid's meal or anything today. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like you – did you even have to buy them or did you have to like spend a certain amount of money? Yeah, see, I think I think there must have been something there, right? Like it wasn't just yeah. like it came in a kid's meal. I think they cost real money. I have like – once again, no idea because, you know, apparently Burger King won't give out water to elderly <laughs> people. So you could never know. <laughs> so ridiculous. Mm. Um, you, know, I, you know what I was thinking of when we were talking about Yelp reviews? Hmm. And, you know, how millennials love their irony. I was thinking about a few years ago, and I Googled it while you were talking. Uh, It was 2012, actually. There was this woman, an elderly woman in uh, Grand Forks, Iowa. Is Grand Forks in Iowa? Yeah, right? I I don't know. Uh, Definitely Midwest. Grand Forks, If it's not in Wisconsin, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's in Iowa. Okay, so there was this woman. Uh, she was like the local food critic for the Grand Forks Herald. Wait, and what, she, what year was this? You think two thousand twelve? Two thousand twelve. I found. Mm-hmm. I actually found this review. So she wrote this review, a very just lovely review for the new Olive Garden in Grand Forks, and it kind of went viral. Like I remember multiple people sending it to me because, you know, she said that like. The chicken Alfredo was warm and comforting on a cold day. The mm. portion was generous and the service was great. And just that she she loved the decor and all the waiters were dressed in really lovely outfits. And this went viral and everybody was sort of making fun of her, like what sort of dum-dum would like. I remember Garden. this. You're right. Yeah. And Anthony Bourdain, uh, RIP, I love mm-hmm. him. He yeah. kind of he kind of swooped in and he was like, hey, everybody stop being assholes. Like this is this is what real food appreciation is. Mm-hmm. Is not taking is like taking the irony out of it. And he even wrote a foreword to her book of all of her columns that came out after Aww. she died. And I just, I just it's love like, it. It's touching. It's so touching. And she even wrote reviews for like McDonald's and Taco Bell. Oh my gosh, I, mean, I love she, that. Just, just, just a lovely lady. And uh, that made me think of that. How everybody had sent me that column, and I couldn't laugh at it because I was like, yeah, I get it. You know. First time I went to Olive Garden, I thought it was amazing. I mean, beauty is in the bo- the eye of the beholder. Yeah, and a good you know? meal is a good meal. And you're also in the middle of Iowa, you know, sometimes in 2012, yeah. who knows what's there? I know. I know. I mean, out like where in the area of where I grew up, the only restaurants are chain restaurants, mm-hmm. and you have to drive pretty far to get to them, so it's like a destination. Like like where I grew up, Olive Garden is where you go before prom. You know what I mean? Yep. Or on your birthday. So that is the the fancy place. That's the fancy place. Yeah, there isn't anything else out there. Um, So I did add something in here. Yeah. We were at the grocery store this weekend and we walked to what is called the quote ethnic aisle. And I was saying to Dustin, like, I remember reading an article a while back about how millennials killed the ethnic aisle. And I just wanted to talk about that for a second because I thought that was pretty interesting. And so if you're not familiar with the quote ethnic aisle, which every time I say it, I feel dirty. I hate it. I mean, it's like it's like saying oriental chicken Yes, salad. it is. It is. This is the aisle where everything good at the grocery store is. So we're talking salsa, uh-huh. tortillas, rice noodles, soy sauce, 
all the best content. This is also coming coming from a person. This is Amanda, when she used to live in LA, would pretty much exclusively shop at like ethnic grocery stores. Oh, yeah. Stores. Like, H-Mart is still my favorite grocery store. I love it's it. most of my shopping in Philly, too. You know, so mm-hmm. in a normal grocery store, a traditional one, there'll be that aisle. You've all been on it where all the Asian food is mixed with like the more like Mexican and Central American food. It's mm-hmm. not even Central American. It's just Mexican food, right? And, it's- and sometimes it's like it's like a quarter of an aisle. Like yeah. my <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally. Times. Maybe they will also put the kosher stuff there. Mm-hmm. Like maybe there'll be some matzah mix. Um, that's about as exciting as it gets. I I will say that the quote unquote ethnic aisle at the grocery store here also has some of that like instant Indian food. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, those, those packaged like dolls. Yeah, and and mm-hmm. if you are actually like into, you know, cuisines outside of like boring ass normal white people food, the selection is actually really bad. It's kind of like the yeah. worst examples of rice noodles, of all these condiments, of everything else, it's, and it's really expensive for what it is. Um, and so I actually found that article, and something great about it is it quotes Vanessa Fam who was co-founder of Amsam, which you sent me those Amsam meal starters. Amanda, I ordered some. (gasps) Well, I saw that they came out with some new ones. Like there's some Japanese ones. I was just like, you know what? It's 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 hunker time. Like let's let's yeah. try these. And you said that they uh, yeah. were super good. So I they were yeah. super good. And I've been thinking about now they have Korean too. And like yes, Korean is my number one favorite variety of food. And I have been working on learning that cuisine as hard as possible. Like I just made a ton of my own kimchi, and I like to make kimchi stew with that and all kinds of other things. So I'm thinking about getting those starters, whatever you want to call them. They're like. They're kind of like the sauces, but they come with a recipe. Yeah. Um, you have to buy some of the other ingredients, but it's it's nothing too hard to find. Anyway, she said – she was interviewed for this article, and I was like, wow, this is perfect. She said, in 2020, this doesn't feel like the way people interface with these cuisines anymore. The grocery store layout should be mapped to how the rest of the country looks. Noodles should be next to pasta. Asian condiments should be next to Western condiments. Mm-hmm. And I totally agree. Like no one eats in a silo like this anymore. So they're 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 killing the ethnic aisle and basically ethnicity is not being called out. Right, right. And also just this idea that like like you were talking about, we all eat in a more like, I don't know, authentic way. Mm-hmm. Like I remember when I was in elementary school at Chi Chi's opened near where Chi-Chi's. I grew up. Absolutely. Right. And, that was like – that. it was Chi-Chi's and Applebee's. Sorry. Yeah, and, and Chi-Chi's was like the wildest place you could go. It was. That's where the margaritas were. Yeah, and imagine not having had Mexican food before. I mean mm-hmm. in the 80s and 90s, the stuff wasn't as widespread. But like even as this article pointed out, salsa is the number one selling condiment in the United States. Yeah. Why is it on its own weird aisle, right? Yeah. Um. So – the definition of what is mainstream in American cuisine is always shifting. And for decades, ethnic was anything that wasn't categorized as black or white food, which I thought was really interesting. Huh. So, oh, Asian food goes there, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, food goes there. Uh, and so even, I mean, this is well before any of us were born. Uh, there for a long time, Italian foods like pasta and sauce we're also included in this like ethnic aisle. And think about now at the grocery store, that stuff has its own aisle. Like there's a whole aisle yeah. of sauce and pasta, right? I, I wonder if it's something to do with like 
the wars and um, Italians kind of you know being being seen as a lower culture because of those wars in America. I was reading about that. I'm sure that was part of it, and just like anti-immigration sentiment all around. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Basically, I mean, I think we can all agree now that like in 2020, calling something ethnic is is just like kind of backwards and bigoted. Like I cringe every time I hear that word. <laughs> and furthermore, this article pointed out, which is totally true, it goes back to what I was saying, that you have to cram so many kinds of cuisines into one aisle. So there's very little shelf space per cuisine, much less per item. And so it makes it hard for brands to compete and then therefore grow their business selling to these mm-hmm. mainstream grocery stores, which is where the real money is. So like if you sell like – like I think of sriracha. That was not something that was always in the grocery store, period, okay? Getting into the mainstream grocery stores is how the sriracha company was able to kind of build their empire, right? And now people buy like sriracha t-shirts. And not really bringing these foods into the mainstream grocery store. Also – stifles innovation and quality. And so like if I go to the regular old grocery store here, I know that the rice noodles they have are expensive and not very good, you know? <laughs> and and like yeah, I was saying, yeah. it's just not how people eat anymore. So I don't think that millennials killed the ethnic aisle. They just realized how stupid it was. And it's like you were saying, they have higher standards for food, which I'm I'm happy about. Yeah. And and they have access to it, so they're probably going to the grocery store and being like, okay, uh, you know, I have this. I want to try out this recipe of something that I really like, and I want to try to make it at home. And they go to the that aisle, and when you're disappointed, you don't, you can't find the, the ingredients that you're going to find. You're just going to go elsewhere. Yeah, totally, totally. So abrupt transition. We're going to talk about millennials killing the malls and department stores. If you Google that, it is like there are thousands of articles <laughs> about this. Like the retail yeah. apocalypse is all millennials' fault. And and all the images of like the 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 deserted malls are hilarious. It's everyone's fault, guys. Mm-hmm. We all did it. So and I found this quote, uh, a simple statement of fact. Millennials aren't spending money on this, so sales are down, transformed into an accusation. Mm-hmm. Reporters became crooked prosecutors accused of pinning the blame on a beleaguered generation instead of investigating the real culprits. It's more fun to talk about and it's more fun to blame on those lazy millennials. Totally, totally. So we're going to talk about the real culprits and why it is is true. I'm going to give you some statistics. Malls and department stores are dying. Whether they've been murdered mm-hmm. is, you know, up for up for conversation, and who the true murderer is, mm-hmm. and it might be capitalism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like I said, there are so many headlines about millennials killing malls and department stores, except for one article that I found that said that Gen Z is actually saving the malls. <laughs> oh, I wonder if it's kind of like that '80s throwback thing. I have no idea. They said. The idea that Gen Z is killing malls could be a myth. And in that article, a study found that 18% of people aged 13 to 21 said they went to the mall once a week, which is a lot in my opinion. It is. But, but they still still did say that they would prefer to hang out at a friend's house over go to the mall. Mm-hmm. Kim, did you go to the mall a lot as a teen? Yeah. I mean, that was kind of the only thing you could really do besides you could go to the bookstore. Like if you just didn't want to be at home. Mm-hmm. 
you, I would go either maybe downtown and hang out downtown, but I was in the Midwest, so it was cold most of the time. So the mall, <laughs> the mall was a lot. And also, like I said, I went to um, high school across the street from the mall. Mm-hmm, so it was right there. It was like a central place where you could just go and just screw around. Totally, yeah. totally. I mean, there was definitely a period where I went to the mall almost every Friday night with my friends. And it was great because there would be people from other schools there. Yes. You know, so it was like exciting. Maybe you meet some like older boys or something. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'd have five or ten dollars of babysitting money so I could buy like a single or mm-hmm. something like that. You know? Yeah, just- exactly. Yeah. You didn't really have any money. Like we weren't spending money. How how were how were we actually yeah, um supporting the sales at these malls? Because we weren't. Yeah, I mean we weren't we weren't. I will say I got a job at the mall in high school at a bookstore, and it was one of my favorite jobs ever because all I did was meet other people my age constantly. It was amazing. I felt like I was at the center of the universe working at the mall. <laughs> but, you know, someone's killing these malls, right? Mm-hmm. So let's start with where we are right now. Over the last decade, we've seen massive closures of all of the anchor stores of these malls. And anchor stores are the big department stores, right, that are like on the ends. So like – Sears, JCPenney, Macy's, Neiman Marcus, any regional department stores that were remaining. There was one here called the Bonton that's gone. Yeah, I remember the Bonton. And that like like when you're talking about these like anchor stores, it's an anchor store because that's what drove the most amount of mm-hmm. traffic. Mm-hmm. That's what people were like, hey, let's let let's go to the pennies. And while we're there, we can go shop them all. Right, right. Like these stores were really important to to the sort of like health of the mall, you know? So that led to even more vacancies in the mall as these like specialty retailers saw their businesses drying up from this lack of traffic like Kim was talking about. And so suddenly I was seeing constantly these like photo essays online of like abandoned malls, uh, (laughs) which I do kind of love that content. I recommend checking out the work of Seth Lawless. He's a photographer who specializes in abandoned places, which I love. A nice abandoned amusement park photo. He's got some stunning abandoned mall photography. (laughs) As of 2019, so I think I'm going to give you a whole bunch of bad news about retail in 2019. I cannot even imagine what we're going to be saying about all of this next year. It's going to be cataclysmic for sure, right? So as of 2019, mall vacancies were at a seven-year high, as reported by the Wall Street Journal. And retailers announced more than 8,600 closings that year. And according to a report done by Credit Suisse in 2017 – between 20 to 25% of malls will close by 2022. 20 to 20. That was in 2019. So that makes me wonder, Yeah, are we really looking at a higher percentage closing by 2022 or more of them closing next year? I I, I don't know. I, I mean, malls are going to close. Let's be real. Yeah. Now, talking about these department stores in general, in 2000, department stores saw $230 billion in sales. Mm-hmm. 2016, 16 years later, the number was just 150 billion. And last year it was 135 billion. So just steady decline once again. So it's basically a hundred billion dollars less almost 10, no, 20 years later. Yeah. It's like yeah, basically wow. in half almost. And yeah. you know that this year has to be like really bad, right? And consumer spending, you know, obviously keeps increasing. So it's not like people are not not shopping. 
Right, right. I mean, this year being the exception, but like mm-hmm. through 2019, people were still shopping. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I will say this because I'm sure you're seeing a pattern already in this episode that most of the things that millennials quote killed, it turns out that, you know, they weren't that great to begin with. That's yeah. kind of why they got murdered. <laughs> they were old timey. Like nobody yeah, thought of them. Yeah. And, you know, also, Something that I cannot hammer home enough is that millennials saw one of the hugest technological shifts ever, and it happened during this century, right? I mean, hi, iPhones, internet, Amazon, you know. Exactly. Hulu, Netflix, all the crazy shit. Like America or the world really 20 years ago was vastly different Mm -hmm. in terms of what you did with your spare time, how you shopped how you communicate with people, like so different. It happened kind of really, really fast. So one of the things that happened was the rise of e-commerce and, you know, millennials value convenience. After all, they're all hustling away with all their side gigs. Everybody's got, you know, it's that toxic culture. They don't have time to just mill around the mall looking for something. And this is something that I really relate to. Mm-hmm. Millennials like reading reviews and comparison shopping yes. using the internet, which I'm a review-aholic. I love a review. And I would argue that when you don't have a lot of money, which millennials don't have, and don't worry, we're going to get into that a little bit more in a bit, you want every purchase to count. Like there's more pressure on each purchase. I mean, we're just kind of more educated about shopping than maybe previous generations were. Ultimately, we're just savvier shoppers, and you can you can com- not can you, can you only just comparison shop? You can price shop, and you can get deals and coupons online. Totally, totally. <laughs> obviously, it's not. Yeah, a- it's just so. It's just like why yeah. wouldn't you, right? Exactly. Now- because if you go to a mall, you could go to the mall. You could go to the, whatever uh, the JC Penney's inside the mall. You could find something in there. You know what the people end up doing? They just go on Amazon and they look it up, see that it's a lower price on mm-hmm, Amazon mm-hmm. or somewhere else, and they'll just buy it online anyway. Right. So these, they, you might. I, hopefully, you're not getting to this point. <laughs> they're when they're using these malls as, um, as showrooms. I mean, that's. I think I we're going to talk a little bit later about what we think the future of the mall is. But I kind of feel mm-hmm. like that's where a lot of retailers think it is. I mean, I mm-hmm. will say, uh, brick and mortar has caught on to this idea that like people are buying stuff online, so it has sort of become this like. I don't know. Like, I don't want to call it a vicious cycle because that makes me sound like I think it's sad that malls are closing and I, I, I'm i kind of ambivalent about it. But it's sort of like retailers were like, oh, you know, we're seeing more and more sales in e-commerce, so we're going to deliver less product to the stores. We're going to have mm-hmm. more styles, like a wider variety in more sizes on the website. And so God forbid you would go shopping in an actual mall store and find something you liked chances are they're going to end up having to ship it to you anyway because they don't have it in size. So it's just kind of like a cycle here. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when we talk about department stores, I mean, literally, I can't even remember the last time I bought something at a department store. And for me, you can tell me what you think, Kim. They always felt like expensive and just like Mm -hmm. a place for old people to shop. It smelled like perfume. Yeah. Horribly. Like headache city. It just didn't feel – it didn't feel as lively as, say, if you went into a Forever 21, you know? we You have to remember that millennials came of age in the, like, golden era of fast fashion. So 
cheap, super trendy clothes. And department stores didn't offer either of that. They've never been particularly trendy. And they were super behind the time in this century because they were still adhering to this like old timey, slow, more traditional product calendar where they were planning their buys six months out. So they didn't, they were never on top of the hot new trends and trends were cycling faster and faster. So it's not like they could react to street style or pop culture trends on any level, you know? Their brands were also kind of like, Ugh. it was like CK, like Calvin Klein, CK, what? DKNY. Yeah, DKNY. Yeah. But like, but it was always like the mall version of it. Which yeah. Was like the even less cool version, like really like commercial, like unattractive. <laughs> if you were like remembered it. in your 20s or mm-hmm. 30s, I mean, or really any age, and you were just like a stylish, trendy person, there was no department for you to shop mm-hmm. in because- Unless you were going to go to the junior's department, which was like very, very junior, mm-hmm. everything else there was too mature, just like frumpy and just uncool. It's like missies or juniors. Yeah. Yeah. And you were like, <laughs> I'm neither of those. I don't yeah. even know what they mean, right? Yeah. None of it's relevant to me at yeah, all. Yeah. It just seems so dated to me. And then, of course, they started to get highly promotional to try to keep up, but it wasn't the price that was the problem. It was the product and the environment. And I don't know if you noticed this, but like in the last 10, 15 years, even just sort of like the like actual retail space of department stores just sort of began to like fall into decline, like stained mm-hmm. carpet and yes. really dated merchandising with like grid on the walls and stuff like that and weird plasticky, ugly mannequins and just – it didn't – it felt – so uncool and it wasn't inspiring on any level. Like there wasn't – the attention to visuals was so minimal. Let's talk about some of the mass market retailers that have gone away or are very close to disappearing. And this is just a short list. I know there's many more. Express is like on its last legs, right? Most of it I want to say is owned by a Canadian venture capital firm at this point. Is Limited part of Express still? Limited is gone. It's gone. Closed up shop. Yep. That would be the only place I shopped in the 90s. I thought was it kind of, I saw kind of stuff that I could kind of wear that, you know, was a little bit cool. Yep. Gone. RIP. Express got sold off. Uh, I know it's got to be doing pretty terribly too. Mm -hmm. Gap. I mean, I don't know how Gap is still around. I would say the same thing for Banana Republic. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what they didn't Gap. Didn't, aren't they partnering with Kanye on something? Yeah, I don't know how that's going to work out. I think that maybe Kanye trying to run for president yeah. and just be an asshole maybe ruined it for mm-hmm. them. Uh, Wet Seal. Oh, my. Yes. Um, here's another one. J. Crew. Yeah. yeah. And, and apparently millennials are killing J. Crew. That's in, that's in one of your lists. I mean, I'm not mad. Yeah. I, I was like, J. Crew hasn't known who they are for mm-hmm. so long. Uh, Victoria's Secret. Is like on its last legs. Yeah. They're trying to sell it off. No one wants it. What about pink? Like the even grosser. <laughs> oh, yeah. I recently did a Patreon exclusive episode about Victoria's Secret. Stop. And uh, pink for a long time was what was carrying Victoria's Secret, like in the Audis, yeah. basically. And a couple years ago, it just fell off and they were getting highly promotional. And all of these analysts were like, sell your Victoria's Secret stock because. Like pink is the sacred cow of this brand, and if if they're having to discount everything, we're looking at a complete collapse of the brand. So, yeah, wow. uh, Abercrombie. <laughs> I oh, mean, 
Abercrombie was like a really special, special type. Yeah, of it, it was. It is, and then that person walked away from them. I guess so, or I don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. But when you think about all of these brands, they all have a lot of things in common. The overarching headline is like they just didn't adjust to the changing times. Like, and some of them were way too late to have an online presence. I I would say Express is one of those. I don't know if Wet Seal mm-hmm. had a website. They were completely tone deaf about social justice mm-hmm. movements like hashtag me too. I'm calling out Victoria's Secret here. Okay. Okay. Um, a lot of people in a post me too world found a lot of the sort of like graphic direction in the stores really um tone deaf. Interesting. The pink section in particular, people were calling out because pink is the youngest customers who would be shopping at Victoria's Secret, primarily teenage girls. And mm-hmm. there were all these really sexy photos all over the walls in those sections. And it was really upsetting to customers. Like there was a lot of outrage about that. And just also, mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to talk about Victoria's Secret alone, it's like they, they're they stuck in this idea that there's only one way to be sexy, which is like with a weird push-up bra. And that's not even what bras are in 2020, right? That's true. It's all about bralettes and like unpadded and things like that and like better fit and sustainability and they never adopted any of that. A lot of these brands could not adjust to the world of fast fashion. Like they couldn't become trendier and they tried to just lower their prices to keep up with fast fashion and it just backfired for them. Like that's definitely one of the things that happened to J. Crew. Uh, express for the same. I don't know what's going on at Gap. I just think that they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, these brands, they didn't sign on to any like social responsibility and sustainability at all. They didn't even try to greenwash it. They just ignored it. Are th- these are all like actually American-founded brands, right? Yes. And they're up yes. against like European brands that were faster and closer to production channels, right? A lot of those brands. Yeah, I mean, Zara, mm-hmm. H&M, you know, even Uniqlo, mm-hmm. they just didn't yeah. do anything right. They didn't do a good job at social media, which is so mm-hmm. important. Uh, their stores looked really dated. And I think that's really important to call out because both millennials and Gen Zs are really into like Instagram and environment and like shareable experiences. And what's there to take a photo of in a Victoria's Secret store or a J. Crew? Right. Like there's no environment, I guess I would say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the clothes in general that all these places were offering, they just weren't on trend. The brand image didn't really mean anything. It was just bad, lazy, dated branding all around. You know, Mm -hmm. the reality is that like millennials just want better stuff. (laughs) We're smarter about this. They want fashionable stuff. All of these killing articles that I read implied that millennials lack loyalty to brands, and that's why all these brands are dying. But I would argue that they're not. They're just not blindly loyal to brands that aren't good just because they've been around. Which is what Mm -hmm. those brands were coasting on that for decades, right? They value small, local, sustainable brands. This is not something you would ever hear your parents talk about. Well, and it wasn't really even a product line that existed. Maybe like kind of like, you know, maybe your aunt your aunt maybe made some like vests or something, you know, by hand for the, the church choir. <laughs> you know, that, that's what a small, local, sustainable like brand was. <laughs> that was as good as, yeah, right? Like if you went back to the mid-century, most brands mm-hmm. were local 
regional, right? But over time, like thinking about department stores, for example, they all became Macy's. Like literally they all became Macy's. Everywhere I've lived, there is a department store chain that became a Macy's. And so there were just not – there just weren't even local options out there, you know, for a really long time. And it's not like something – anyone was thinking about it was just like well what if it's at the mall it must be good and that's just just like restaurants the same thing it's exactly the same thing Mm -hmm. and so also and this is something that would come up in meetings a lot at a lot of my jobs because we were you know targeting a millennial customer millennials value causes and givebacks and brands that are cause adjacent According to a Nielsen study, quote, by and large, millennials are a generation of idealists who leverage their massive collective spending power to support companies that uphold humanistic qualities like moral fiber, care, credibility, and environmental consciousness. However, I would just add, or things that are cheap. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> or things. And I think that, that that can also be said for Gen Z who totally, who even, totally. Who demand it even more. But also want cheap. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's interesting because I've I've like I've been in so many meetings like this of like how can we leverage millennials care about issues to sell them stuff and then possibly mark it up to be a higher price because they'll pay more because it's the is- it's like issue related. Um, I also think this totally ties back to the success of feminist teas, yes. for example, and all of that other merch that was related to it. I mean. The feminist tea, the mental health notebook, the <laughs> RBG pin, these uh-huh. things are so quintessentially millennial. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't even believe it. it. It's hilarious to look back at it. And it's, it hasn't been that long, but if you look back five years at the merchandise that was being sold, that's it is so hyper, hyper millennial. It's so hyper millennial. There's also this myth. I'm sure you've heard this a ton, Kim. I've heard this in so many meetings when we were like, why are sales down? Oh, you know why? It's because millennials only want experiences. Yes, absolutely. I hear this all the time. So yes, millennials do say that they prioritize experiences. And a survey from Eventbrite, uh, which calls itself, if you didn't know, a marketplace for live event experiences, found that 78% of millennials said they would rather spend money on an experience than a thing. And 77% said their best memories came from experiences. And I, you know what? I, I totally mm-hmm. fall into this. I, I get it. I absolutely agree. As long as that experience can be photographed and you can share it with everyone and everyone can see it for the rest of your life. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> that's what's really important. I, that's the most sure. important right? thing. It's, yeah. like that's, it's, you, it's, like, it's like not a possession in a real physical sense. No. But you have – possession of these photos so it happened right and and you can make other people jealous yeah or how about that show, FOMO? totally FOMO or show you know how cultural you are whatever it is whatever it is it's all about like creating your own personal brand the mall is not really a great cultural because you're not taking pictures at the mall it isn't it isn't and I will say like if you think we're being you know we're like millennial apologists over here listen Millennials have plenty of problems as a generation, but what I will say they are not doing is killing all these things. Yeah, exactly. Are they posting too much on Instagram from museums? For sure. It drives mm-hmm. me crazy. But, and, and foodie pictures. Oh, I know. Even just the word foodie. Um, <laughs> but okay, so millennials love experiences. We all agree we love experiences, but guess what? 
boomers say the same thing at almost the same oh, rate. There you go. 74% Boom, of boomers. Mike dropped. Yeah. yeah. So, the, oh, wow. It seems like having experiences is a universal desire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, there, there you go. And economists have said, yeah, okay, millennials were spending less money on like stuff like material goods when they were in their 20s. But when they hit their 30s, their spending on consumer goods increased to a pretty average level. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, like furniture yeah. and stuff. Yeah, invest in home stuff. Because, I mean, in the 20s, they were in college and then they were living – you're living with like a bunch of roommates. I mean, really? Yeah, totally. You don't need anything. Totally, totally. And I, if I haven't debunked this enough, but also like to add <laughs> that – Millennials love to, quote, treat themselves. Y'all know it. Treat yourself is like such a common hashtag, right? According to Fidelity Investments 2008 Millennial Money Study, millennials were asked how often they, quote, treat themselves, which is – if you don't know what that phrase means, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast, but if you don't, it means a purchase that they made to bring themselves joy. Yeah. (laughs) 86% 86% said that they treat themselves at least once a month, setting them back $110 a month on average on treating. <laughs> okay. Okay. Which I'm like, okay, okay fine. I do, I do yeah. steal. That's what self-care is, right? A month? Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. I will say this. I found this very heartwarming, and I, I also agree with everyone in this survey. 75% of surveyed millennials said feeling wealthy isn't about the dollar amount, but about how they live their lives. And I do think that is a sharp contrast to boomers, for sure. Mm-hmm. This is a good thing for you to hear as we transition into the next reason that millennials aren't buying a ton of stuff at malls and department stores, and that is millennials are poor. <laughs> Mm-hmm. They make up the largest share of the U.S. workforce, but they control just 4.6% of the country's total wealth. And yes, it's not wow. unusual – I know, right? It's not unusual for younger people to have less money than their elders. It makes sense, right? They're in an earlier part of their career. But the average baby boomer working in 1989 during their early 30s had four times the wealth that today's millennials have when adjusted for inflation. They also, Um, at that time, so in 1989, when the mm -hmm. average baby boomer was in their early 30s, they had 26% of the wealth at that time for like the country. And I just want to contrast that with the 4.6 that millennials have right now at the same age. I mean, that is a huge gap, right? No wonder they're not buying diamonds and houses and cars. Yeah, exactly. And this is a major shift in wealth. Mm -hmm. So, of course, we're not at the mall. (laughs) Exactly. We're working our hustle jobs. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And there's crazy wealth disparity within the millennial generation. This next fact, I mean, jaw Mm -hmm. on the floor. Three millennials of all the millennials, there's three of them. Mark Zuckerberg and Dustin Moskowitz, who are the co-founders of Facebook, and then the Walmart heir, Lucas Walton. So these three guys, they have $1 out of every $40 that millennials have as a total group. Three guys. Insane, right? Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. In total, boomers have twice the wealth of Gen Xers, 
who, by the way, are not doing that great either. But boomers have 10 times the wealth of millennials. Wow. And then something I didn't even bring up yet mm-hmm. is all the debt we have. Yes, exactly. The average millennial this, – oh, this hurts my heart – has $30,000 in personal debt with about two-thirds of that being student loans. And because of all that debt and a 20% decrease in average salary from the boomers, mm-hmm. millennials have very little savings and they have an average net worth of less than $8,000. Yeah. I mean, I'd be that that number is even high for when I'm looking at it. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And just for some context, millennials graduated in the midst of the Great Recession, whether they graduated from high school or college, right? Or were just had just the older millennials were just starting their careers, right? Jobs actually never fully rebounded from that. Yes, there were more jobs again for people, but a big portion of the job economy since the recession has been these like gig freelance jobs. Mm -hmm. Most of the millennials I know have multiple jobs, whether they're in their 20s or in their 30s. Yeah. Uh, And most of them are now unemployed due to the pandemic because a significant portion of millennials work in restaurants, hospitality, and retail at a greater rate than Gen Xers and boomers. Yeah. Some some economists are already calling millennials the lost generation. It's so sad. I know. It makes me really, really sad. Uh, Morgan Stanley analyst Kimberly Greenberger told Business Insider, I think we got a very significant psychological scar from the Great Recession. One in every five households at the time were severely negatively impacted by that event. And if you think about the children in that house and how the length and the depth of that recession really impacted people, I think you have an entire generation with Mm -hmm. permanently changed spending habits. Absolutely. And that is (laughs) how we killed the malls. (laughs) So I would ask you, Kim, because this has like been on my mind, like Mm -hmm. what's next for malls and department stores? Because we're talking about like massive amounts of empty space, often surrounded by acres of parking, just huge parcels of land, right? Swaths of land. I mean, I've heard that, you know, a lot of malls are actually talking to Amazon. Mm-hmm. I heard that too. In. Yeah. Like coming in for, like I said, kind of like a showroom space. Mm-hmm. I'd also heard, and I think this was about a mall outside of Philadelphia, that Amazon was negotiating for one of the anchor store spaces like Sears or JCPenney just as a fulfillment center. Yeah. Which is even more depressing. It's very, very depressing. But I that actually makes a lot of sense to convert everything to more of an e-commerce position. Um, I mean, that's kind of the future of everything. And, you know, frankly, I don't really care about malls. I find them to be they, – they make me feel disgusting when I think about them or <laughs> I talk mean, the about thought them. of ever going to a mall again after COVID, yeah. although I will say, with exception, the malls in Japan are delightful. Nice. And yeah. what I will say is great about them is that each mall is really targeted towards a very specific customer – so I like to go to the teenage girl malls that have lots of cute, trendy clothes and kawaii mm-hmm. gift shops and like dessert buffets and things like that, you know? Yeah. Like they're fun and like photo booth stores. Totally. And like it's more of a fun experience. That's yes. Really, yes. It's geared towards the customer, not just 
an old timey experience. Right. And when you go to any mall in Tokyo any day of the week, it is packed mm-hmm. because it's so just on point. And yeah. these, but the other thing I'll say is that these malls have much smaller footprints. We don't have these huge department stores, huge shops in general. They almost have more of an open air feel and they tend to be like a tall, narrow building with maybe like 15 floors connected by escalators, but it just feels very bustling and lively. They, they, they I have been in them. I've been in the, uh, What's the district that have has all the malls? Shibuya. Shibuya, yes. Yeah. And there are just so many really cool stores that have mm-hmm. it's not it's not the corporate crap you get everywhere. It's like a lot of like independent stuff and like design stores, home stores. It's relevant product mm-hmm. done like just really cool ways. Because I think that they actually let they they rent out space differently. They do because it seems – it almost seems more like – I don't know, like a market. It is. Because it's like a the market. spaces are smaller mm-hmm. and they're kind of all – they all kind of run into one another instead of these like siloed stores. And even if it's something that's sort of like a chain like Wago, every Wago store in every mall is completely different and totally targets whatever that customer base is right there. It's like, it's just a completely different approach to, to merchandising, you know? And I remember Macy's and Nordstrom's have all, they were trying to change things up a bit and they were doing like, um, uh, Macy's bought Story, mm-hmm. which I've, I partnered with Story before, um, uh, with Graphlands that, you know, they, they sold our product. Um, and they were, they just, every year they sold so much product uh-huh. and then Macy's bought them to try to change that experience so that there's something like a little more storytelling, a little, a little more enjoy, like some, a reason to come back to the Macy's to, mm-hmm. to shop these like curated stories. Mm-hmm. I've been to a couple of the stories mm-hmm. pop-ups. They had a really great one that was all like rainbow themed. Yes. We so were I, in that one. Yes. Oh yeah. It was really one. cool. I thought the product was really cool. Mm-hmm. I liked the concept, but I was still just like, I'm in Macy's. You're still in Macy's. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like it has to be smaller things. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm right about that. I mean, you know, in Madison, Wisconsin, where I'm from, we have, um, we, there's a lot of malls that kind of collapsed. Like they're basically just barren wastelands now with like nothing in them and Mm -hmm. they're being demolished and turned into other things. Um, you know, like living places and, but you know, there was one mall that kind of always existed that was always kind of considered like the old person mall that really changed it around. They basically changed their footprint from being mostly internal to mostly external. That's and what I see a lot where yeah. it kind of becomes like a strip mall. But And, and I also want to say that like – Specialty. Yeah, especially malls are not dead in the way like as gen- – like in the general way that that statement makes it sound because like I think of like the Americana – Mm-hmm. in Glendale or the Grove mm-hmm. in LA, which are these huge outdoors. They feel like a town. Yes. It's a mall without a roof. Yes. But you could spend a whole day there because there are tons of amazing restaurants, you know, uh, all kinds of great shopping, yeah. movie theaters. There's a lot more interactive stuff. You could just sit outside and have a coffee. You know, it's a totally different experience. And, and, the other thing that those malls have in common, which is crazy to me, is that on the floors above the main shopping area, people live there. There's like condos, like yeah. luxury condos. Once again, not really for me, but 
I think it makes them feel more organic and less mm-hmm. like a mall. Uh, there is a lot of, I mean, this is something that like, if you want to read about what people are seeing as the future of malls, there are so many articles out there. And there's a lot of talk of turning these malls into these sort of like indoor villages with lots of housing. In fact, in Portland, uh, the biggest mall, uh, the Lloyd Center, which was at least for, at some point the largest mall in Oregon, it has three floors and it is massive. When the Nordstrom closed uh, and all the other anchor stores after that, they decided to turn the Nordstrom end of the mall into condos. And I know that's still in process, but that's kind of the first time I'm seeing something like that happen. Uh, you know, it's, so adding housing to malls, uh, putting in gyms, medical oh, yeah, let's clinics. Say gyms and yeah. Yeah. And uh, charter schools. That was another thing I've read about. Restaurants, theaters, even grocery stores for the people who would be living and working in there. Yeah. The mall in the town where I grew up, and this is back when malls were still popping, like it was the place to go. It had a this is so such a something I hadn't thought about in a really long time until I was working on this episode. There was a charter school mm-hmm. in the abandoned Sizzler. Oh my gosh. Did I know. still have a Sizzler sign? It still had a Sizzler outside sign, but it was like the charter <laughs> school. And it was this this was like I, I want to say I was in junior high, maybe, maybe early high school. It was in the mall, had the scissor sign, and it was a special school for high school dropouts. And I I I don't know what went on in there, but my friends and I always joked forever about transferring to Sizzler school. Like if we we're having a bad day at school, we'd be like, well, I guess I could go to Sizzler. Uh, but perhaps that was the beginning of a new era of reusing these spaces. Like, what if an Applebee's became a school? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, I, I, as long as they keep all the tchotchkes and crap up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's distracting. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the end of this episode about millennials murdering things. Mm-hmm. Murder, they wrote, I'm calling it. <laughs> <laughs> I have been, I've, I've spent some time trolling the internet for pictures of Angela Lansbury to use in my <laughs> great, great <laughs> in the Instagram. So make sure to definitely follow us on Instagram to see these. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add? I guess we already told you all to leave a review, to follow us on Instagram, to uh, check out the oh. website for more info. You know, DM us, you know, slide into our DMs if you have any ideas on anything you'd like us to talk about. You know, we obviously have a laundry list, but, you know, we want to hear what what interests you in the world of trends. Seriously, yeah. or past trends. Like, yeah, tell us something that stuck with you. And if you, like, want to know what happened there, maybe it'll fit into something else we were thinking about. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.